Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Caring Too Much. I'm Alexandra. With me here today is David. Uh, and we are going to be talking about a topic that is, is very near and dear to my heart um, as of this summer, which is native plant gardening and also some, some other gardening. But uh, yeah, gardening and how you can do it in a, in, in a way that is good. I'm excited. Let's go. So, um, if, if, if you're not quite sure what native plant gardening is, l- uh, allow, me, allow me to tell you just a little bit about it. Um, hopefully, hopefully everyone listening already knows what gardening is. Uh, you, you take plants, <laughs> you put them in the ground. Um, but as, as you may also know, uh, different plants are indigenous to different locations in the world. Um, so native plant gardening really focuses on the plants that are native to whatever area you are growing plants in, uh, and especially plants that play a key role in the natural ecosystem of that area. So plants that may not only be native, but that also support other native species of, you know, other plants, insects, animals, uh, all, all, all sorts of things. We all, I think we all remember the food web that we got taught in like, what, grade six science? <laughs> like we're, we're looking for those plants that fit into the food web and do all those things that, you know, like they provide, uh, like some plants will provide shelter for animals, some will provide food, some will do all those other things. So we're really going back to grade, grade six science here or whenever we first learned about food webs. Because <laughs> as we were doing the prep for this episode, that's what I kept thinking back to. I was like, oh, it's really just about like knowing the food web for like your local area, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and aside from, you know, supporting species is great. And uh, I, I actually have seen quite a few discussions on how, um, especially homeowners focusing on like native plant gardening for their backyards, front yards, if they have like yards. Um, yeah, can, on the ground level. <laughs> yeah, but how, how that can make a substantial impact to conservation and like eco-friendliness in an urban setting. But even aside from that, like on the individual level, native plants gr- usually grow well in, in the area they're native to. Wow, what, a, what a surprise, right? Shocking. <laughs> uh, and this means that they will often give you better results with less work than non-native plants. Uh, which for me, you know, as, as a gardener, that's great. I don't want to be like carefully watering my hothouse roses every single day and trimming off the, the leaves, you know, on an hourly basis or whatever. Oh, a hundred percent. Like if I am kneeling in the dirt, I want to be kneeling in the dirt for as little time as possible. So why wouldn't you pick? The, the plants that grow better. Exactly. Um, and even, and like year to year as well, um, for anyone who's done any gardening, if you plant a lot of annuals, uh, which are plants that only grow for one year and then they die, it's a lot of work every single year. You have to like dig holes, you gotta plant plants. If you're doing it from seed, you have to germinate new stuff every single year. And if you're planting native plants, most of those are going to be perennials 
or they will reseed themselves because they they have evolved to grow in the environment where you're planting them. So your garden just gets better and like more lush every single year instead of being a pain to to replant. So lots that, of, yeah, that's yeah. My mom has a huge garden. Uh, well, not huge. I mean, I'm sure there's much bigger gardens, but it was it was in terms of the amount of space that the garden took up in our backyard compared to like grass space, <laughs> it was a very huge garden. And it was all like, I didn't really ever think about it because I didn't care. Um, but yeah, all of the things, almost everything that my mom plants in her actual garden are perennials. They come back every year and she just maintains them. Whereas she has like, uh, you know, like flower pots around. And in those she'll put annuals because they're going to die anyway, because she can't keep the flower pot outside all winter or it'll crack and get cold. Mm-hmm. So that's I like it's it's just interesting how like it, it's it's like it's what the earth wants. The earth has like plants that belong here. So like those plants are gonna do better because they they are uh, used to it. it. Yeah, just it makes sense, even though you don't really think like I've never thought about it as someone who doesn't care too much about gardening. <laughs> I'm I'm the I'm representing all of you listening who don't garden, have never gardened, don't know where to start when it comes to all this. Uh, I'm learning as much from this episode as you hopefully do. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I like I just I never like realized that there were so many things that you know like you could think about when you are gardening because I was just like, oh, you dig a hole, you put a seed in, a plant grows. You know. Yeah. My my interest in this whole kind of area really started a, a few years ago when I was still living at home. Um, and I I kept seeing my parents mowing the lawn and I had been don't 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 like call me after this. I had been reading a lot of stuff on Tumblr about how bad uh, grass lawns are for, for like the environment, water, whatever. Um, and so I got in a fight with my mom trying to convince her to not mow the lawn for a year. Uh, and eventually she was like, fine, I'll give you like a patch of the backyard. <laughs> you know? That part no one can see. <laughs> exactly. Um, and it actually turned out really well um you know some of the grasses grew really long and then they were like too long and fell over uh and then there were some other plants that popped up here and there um and it it was like that for like two or three years I think um we had this almost meadow patch in our backyard um I say say patch it was most of the backyard except (laughs) for the like vegetable garden um but what this what this did is it got my mom into the idea of like eco-friendly gardening as well um and uh, absolutely bless her heart she decided uh over the last year or so that she wanted to go go further and make her garden not only like not a finely mowed lawn but but an active contributor to the ecosystem of the area. Um, So she got in touch with like native plant nurseries, which there's a ton of native plant nurseries in in, in Toronto and in the GTA. Uh, If anyone is interested in reworking their own garden to be more like native plant-y, there are people who specifically do landscaping with native plants, as it turns out. but yeah, she 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 found someone. Uh, they came in. They were like, "Yeah, this is cool, but a lot of these plants aren't actually very good for anything." 
So if you, <laughs> you know, if you really want this to be a uh, productive for the ecosystem garden, you should, you should like get, get rid of most of yeah, the they grass, have recommendations. And uh, like, I feel like it's like any landscaping service. I imagine like you, they, it's a custom job, right? Like depending exactly. on, and I imagine this one's probably even more custom because like, you know, you can install a pool in any backyard probably, but like the native plants from one backyard to another might be slightly different if you're going, you know, from like one city to another. Yeah. I mean, in, in the same broad region, I think, I think like Southern Ontario, most of the same plants are native. Um, so, I mean, if you were going from like here to, I don't, I don't know, like Niagara, sorry. <laughs> I said Sarnia. Oh, Sarnia. Yeah. It, it probably would be that different, but if you, if you decide to go to BC, then it, it might be, um, but yeah, so the, the native plant landscaping people were like, here's what you do. You rip out all the grass, you cut down all the stuff you've had growing here. Uh, and here's like a million plants to plant. And I don't know what most of them are to be full disclosure. I was no longer living at home by this point. Um, but, but it has been really great watching over this summer, especially as my mom has worked very hard transforming both her backyard and now her front yard, since we got like a landscaper that can make it look pretty, into like pollinator gardens and native habitats. And it's, it's just very cool. Um, so yeah, that's the, the kind of story of how I personally <laughs> became passionate about uh, eco-friendly gardening. Yeah, I mean, I think, so I mean, I, uh, I lived in a place in, uh, for the first two years, it was like my aunt's place, but she like rented it out, like whatever. Um, so I had one of the places there and my cousin also was in one of the rooms. Uh, she's like 12 years old, my cousin. Um, and so like, she had been there for a while and she had been doing stuff in the backyard and she had a similar, and she called it the meadow in the backyard. I love that. And I think my, just my issue with or not issue, but like the reason I just find it somewhat impractical is like, how do you walk through it when your backyard's so small? Like, I don't actually want a meadow in my backyard, right? <laughs> and so I feel like going the route of like getting a landscaper is if you, if you like, I mean, not that if you've listened to our past episodes, you know that neither of us are counting on owning a house, certainly not anytime soon. But I feel like if, yeah, like if you're in the situation where you've got land, <laughs> probably the best way to do it is to get a landscaper or at least like talk to someone who knows a little, like when you're at the Home Depot, like talk to someone who knows about this more than you might. Just because I, I do know, like our backyard was like, um, it, it, we did a similar situation where it was like, yeah, in the back, the meadow will be behind the shed kind of thing. But yeah. I don't know how you would really bring that to be like the whole, because the rest of our backyard was still like, yeah, like a mowed lawn and there were like, you know, whatever else. So I feel like, I feel like for most people, you probably don't want to be wading through like waist high weeds and grass and stuff like that. Um, yeah. But to be honest, even if you want the like short plants, lawn aesthetic, if you have like kids or something, or you just want to run around in your backyard, you have a dog, whatever you have. Um, there's a ton of 
things that you can do other than a traditional like Kentucky bluegrass lawn. Uh, there are native grasses that grow at more like lawn height that you can mow and they will not die. Um, you get like ground covers or clover mixes or whatever. So if, if, if you have a lawn and you want to keep your lawn, um, it might also be worth looking into more, more eco-friendly lawn substitutes. Yeah. Um, I, I think the, the, you know, interesting or whatever thing about, you know, we're talking about gardening and whatever is, I think a lot of this conversation has been maybe more applicable for any of our suburb listeners. Um, so like going downtown immediately, I'm like, there's no lawn downtown. Um, and so I think, I know we're going to talk about doing some of this stuff like on a balcony or, or a rooftop, if that's all you have. But I think the most interesting thing about, you know, all of this, you know, you're talking about native plants, um, is like the, the possibilities for, uh, urban farming. Um, because yeah, and I, I know you've had a little bit of experience in that recently, right? I had a very fun experience with it recently and I definitely, I'm excited to get to that. Um, but I think just in general, like whether we're talking about like, oh, bringing back native plants, uh, like, you know, into the area because it's better for the ecosystems. Um, you know, another thing that's, you know, better for the eco ecosystem and also better for us is urban farming because it provides us with fresh produce near us and we don't have to necessarily get it preserved for as long or at all because it's, you know, coming from places nearby. And a lot of the times also, you know, when we have an urban farm, at least of the ones that I'm aware of and did research into in Toronto, um, a lot of them find ways to like uh, be part of a gray water system in the building, which is when rainwater is used to uh, for things like the toilet water and stuff. It's not like it matters how like what's in that water you're <laughs> peeing into it anyway. <laughs> um, and I think I just think there's so many opportunities for like urban farming. And I actually learned that uh, Toronto passed a urban farm or sorry no not an urban farm a green roof uh bylaw in recent years that all buildings and i'm going to get the exact number wrong i believe it's over eight floors uh and over a certain square footage have to have a green roof so obviously that's not so all those cool. yeah i thought it was super cool first of all i'd never heard of it <laughs> and i was like that's news to me um but i guess also i'm not in the business of building eight-story buildings so that's probably <laughs> why i don't know about this particular bylaw um, but I think yeah. it's really cool because that means that there's probably a lot of buildings that are being built with the ability for like a green roof, which doesn't necessarily mean an urban farm, but those green roofs can probably over time as technology progresses and, you know, whatever, we can probably turn a lot of those into urban farms if they aren't being installed as them already. Exactly. And it's the same idea as like lawns versus gardens where not all green space is equal. Uh, so if you can find a way to take that green space that might not be utilized uh, as much right now and turn it into something more productive, that, that that's amazing. And I know that urban farms um, also have a, have a lot of like community building potential. It's not just about uh, food supply. Well, and that's what that's some stuff I was excited about to talk about for the urban farm. So um, for people who don't know, um, we go to uh, X University, which is Ryerson, formerly known as Ryerson, currently known as Ryerson University. Uh, there's an urban farm, uh, the RU Urban Farm. 
Uh, and because of my position, I'm, I'm currently on uh, X University's Board of Governors. Uh, and we got a tour of the urban farm two weeks ago. Uh, and it was probably one of the best tours I've ever been on at the school. And I've been on countless tours of new facilities that just got built and new residences. And I work in residence, all these sorts of things. Something about this urban farm, the vibes that they've got going on there. Uh, so good. I loved every minute of this tour, um, but some of the really awesome things, and it, but it wasn't just because of their vibes. It was also because of some of the things that they're doing up there. Like, this I, so I've checked the urban farm. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, some of the, so some of the things that they're doing up there um, that I would really encourage anyone who is a student or a community member in some way to, to get involved with is they're doing a lot of stuff around native plants. Um, resurgence I, I don't know if there's a proper term for it or whatever but basically they're working with indigenous populations across uh turtle island uh which is north america as we know it um and they are talking to them being like okay what plants you know used to grow in your area that don't anymore or you can't find a lot of and then they're growing them on the urban farm and helping and like reseeding them and replanting them in other places where they used to be native and they aren't really around anymore for you know various reasons um due to like you know urbanization uh just in general pollution all those sorts of things mm -hmm. um and so i just and and like so many other fun things i can't even like manage to list them all but like they're growing uh like sacred indigenous plants and herbs for like uh, medicinal and like spiritual purposes um just tons of food like i like we walked through the farm and i like I got to pick food and then just eat it. Like I, I picked up, a, I pulled a carrot out of the dirt, walked over to a sink that's up there on the roof, washed it and started taking a bite out of it. You sent me a want, picture of that carrot. It, it was a very good looking carrot. I posted that carrot on my Instagram. So anyone who wants to see that carrot that I pulled from the urban farm, you can go and check it out on my Instagram. Um, I think I, th I think that's an amazing experience to have, um, to seeing like how, how much food is readily available. Because with our current system where like most of the food we eat is, is factory farmed uh, in one way or another, we, we don't realize the potential of smaller spaces to create a ready supply of food as well. Yeah, no, and it was, it was just overall really awesome. They were like everyone that we spoke to up there, most, almost everyone is a volunteer who like does work with the urban farm. And they were all just like so dedicated and excited about growing food and growing, you know, the other things that they were growing up there. That sounded like I was saying weed. No, that's not what I meant. I just mean the I mean, like herbs, you know, herbs, you, spices, you all the other things. Although weed is a herb. <laughs> I will officially go on the record and say that the urban farm is not growing weed. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, um, it was, it was just so much cool stuff. And it's something that most of the, like our school community wouldn't really interact with and can't really, it's not like they can just have the farm open. People would, you know, trample all the crops and stuff, but they have a lot of op op volunteer opportunities. Um, and they have a lot of just, you know, like if they're sharing things on Instagram, like there's like pop-ups where they'll sell food or, or give out some of the food that they've grown, all those sorts of things. Uh, are really great ways to support the stuff they're doing and i just i just can't like praise them enough like it, i don't know what it was about it it was just so many different things coming together i just loved everything that they were doing up there so i would definitely encourage you know anyone 
to check it out. Uh, even if you're not part of, you know, the our university's community in one way or another, check it out because maybe something you learned from what they're doing could be applied to somewhere you are now or later in life. So, yeah, yeah. I would. Uh, I know. I, really I know. Encourage that. Um, and their Instagram is at RU Urban Farm, uh, and it also if you if you Google Ryerson Urban Farm, they will they will come up in Google. Um, so yeah, that that that's been my uh, my content for today's X University recap. Check out the urban farm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. As soon as uh, you told me that the the urban farm existed, you know, my my next question to you was like, oh my god, where do, where do I sign up to volunteer? Um, yeah, I I think there's something just so incredibly fulfilling about growing food. Um, I didn't even grow the carrot that I ate and it was more fulfilling than any carrot I've ever eaten in my life. And all I did was pick it out of the <laughs> I didn't have anything to do with growing it. And I felt more fulfilled. I totally agree. hundred percent. Like it's exactly not even growing, but being involved in that process of like, like feeling like you're producing something. Um, and food is such a meaningful thing to produce, you know? And it's not that I think about this every time I eat food or whatever, but when I was eating that carrot, and then I was I ate some other things as well. Uh, they had uh, cucumber, um, that was really good. Various things, all of it was great. But the thing that I was thinking was like, I know that this is like good food too, because like it's not like not that I think about it when I eat a carrot that I bought from the grocery store. Like I'm not thinking, oh, what pesticides are in this or whatever. But when I was eating, you know, like I picked this carrot myself, and I was like, I know I can trust this food. Like this is like a good, nice trustworthy carrot <laughs> also stuff tastes better when it hasn't been like sprayed with preservatives and bounced around in a crate the whole way from like the southern united states or mexico or, or like whatever warm regions they're growing food that they sell in, in in canada i have never had such a satisfying carrot like i like I know it sounds like I'm, just like I'm fangirling over the urban farm and their carrots, but like, I truly, I was in the moment and I still am like, it was like, and I also say all of this as someone who I will probably not for a very long time, at least be growing my own food because it's so much work like that. And also I don't have space. Like I'm going to have moving into a new place where I'm going to have, you know, like one square foot of balcony or whatever, <laughs> um, not enough to grow food that would be able to replace the grocery store. So I say all this, like knowing, like, like, yeah, it's not reasonable or likely that every single person listening to this can just start growing their own food. But if you have been thinking about it, or if there's been like, you've just been thinking like, oh, I'm just going to keep going to grocery stores. Like, why does it matter? I can definitely say that if you are, if you do have the time and energy and all that sort of stuff to do it, it is worth it. And you don't have to replace the grocery store. You know, if you grow some food, um, like I, you you know what my balcony looks like. I have a not enormous balcony. It's, it's a little bit more than one square foot. Um, I have filled it to the brim with, with, with plants. Um, and most of those plants aren't like food producing plants. I, I only have a couple, but oh my God, the rush I get from looking outside and seeing that my tomato plants, my my two uh, very, they're, they're actually getting a little bit threadbare because I had to 
not the point, my two tomato plants, looking outside and seeing the little like green cherry tomatoes on there and knowing that at some point I will be able to eat one of, like even if only one of those tomatoes ever gets ripe, I am going to be so happy about that. Because it's just like, like I, I, I made something. Yeah, no, I definitely think like, like I'm just saying like, I know for me, like it's just, it's a lot of work for one tomato. That's Fair all I'm saying, right? And so I just, I just think like, it's, it's not like we're saying this like is easy or like, oh, why aren't you doing this? Um, honestly, I think of a lot of this stuff as like good stuff to know for, you know, five, 10 years when I have like, you know, a stable life, I'm working a nine to five job, whatever, like I'm not moving every eight months. That, cause that's the other thing. Like, um, and I, I think we're going to talk about some of the tips and tricks for gardening. So maybe we can get into that is how, like, how, what are, what are those tips and tricks to make this as easy as possible for people who are, again, I'm assuming that most of our viewers are people who know us or our parents, which except for our parents, your students who are moving or new professionals who are probably not permanently settled in your forever home yet. Uh, and given the current housing market probably won't be for a while. So what are those like essential tips and tricks that I would need to know if I did want to start growing tomatoes on the balcony in my new place? <laughs> yeah, um, well, we'll consider this the first uh, tip and trick, which, which is really just know your situation and know your space. Um, if you anticipate moving a, a year from now again, then you maybe don't want to go like as wild as I have. Uh, you maybe don't want to get like big plants that would be a hassle to move. So, I mean, in that case, you might want to avoid tomatoes because they do get quite big. Um, so what, what are some plants or, or uh, like plants and or, well, sorry, they're both plants, food plants or non-food plants, either one. Yeah. What are, what are plants that are like good that it's just like, oh yeah, this will be good for one season and then it like it dies anyway or something. Like, are there any plants or food plants like that or are all food plants perennials? I don't actually know that. Oh yeah, not not all food plants are perennials by a long stretch. Um, and many of the food plants that we have available to us that like home gardeners commonly grow are actually annuals. Um, some of them used to be perennials and then they were like bred into annuals for uh, whatever reason. I don't know, because I'm, I'm not 100% sure how... We've genetically oh, modified works. a lot of food in questionable ways. I mean, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with making a plant an annual rather than a perennial if it's in a way that's like you're increasing the yield somehow by doing that rather than you are sterilizing the plant to force farmers to like buy more seeds from you every single year. Um, uh, capitalism. Uh, did, did anyone say Bayer Monsanto? Um I had to do a grade seven French project on genetically modified foods by Monsanto, all in French. <laughs> Still don't know why, but I know I, I know quite a bit. Probably outdated information by now. Um, but, okay, but yeah, so that's, there's some... yeah, that's good to know that there's there are things that think so. Um, what are what are beyond knowing your timeline and space? What uh, what are some of the other maybe yeah. common mistakes that people want to avoid? Um, okay, this this plays into space a little bit, but 
you gotta get plants for your level of like sun um right. and also yeah, depending which way your balcony faces completely different actually well i mean fun fact my balcony is going to be facing like 180 degrees from the direction that your space is oh because i i specifically looked for an apartment with a south-facing balcony which gets the most sun exposure uh in in toronto so if yours is north facing then you're not going to be getting much sun exposure um so especially if it's a small balcony you'd want to look for like partial or, or maybe even full shade plants um because they would only get a few hours of, of full sun a day um yeah this is something that i <laughs> did not uh really take into account enough when i was organizing my garden i got a bunch of plants that need pretty much full sun and there are parts of my balcony that get close to full sun, but uh, not enough parts to fit all the sun-loving plants I got. Okay, so basically what I'm hearing is you've got to, like, map out your balcony or, or space and be like, okay, this, like, you can't just go to the store, buy plants, and come back, which is absolutely, like, someone listening is probably like, well, duh. But that is exactly <laughs> what I would have done. I would have gone to the the garden center bought a bunch of plants being like oh i'll get some like whatever like some shade some whatever and gotten back and realized i have no spit none of the right spaces for them yeah so, and i think that's why something like um i know like spider plants are, are very popular indoor house plants and as far as i know they don't need a ton of light um which also is a consideration if you want to keep plants indoors because Obviously, there are many areas in most indoor spaces that do not get a huge amount of sunlight. So unless you want to get like a grow light or something, um, you that that's something to look out for. Um, I, but okay, common mistakes. I would say the most common mistake people make with their plants, uh, especially potted plants, is overwatering. Um, plants plants can have too much water. If if you didn't know, now you know. Root um, rot. Root rot, exactly. Because I know some things. <laughs> if, uh, if a plant is sitting in water all the time, like if you're watering your plant every single day, most of the time that's going to kill the plant. Um, they, they do like to dry out a little bit. Like imagine if your feet were in water 24-7, you'd get like trench foot. And that's what trench foot is. Um, plants get that too. So the, the rule of thumb is if you have a plant in soil, like a potted plant, you want to water it only when the soil is dry up to the first knuckle of your like index finger. So you stick your finger in uh, up to the first knuckle. If the soil is not damp, then, then you water. And you want to water it like pretty thoroughly until you get some, some like runoff from the bottom. And also, if you have a tray catching the runoff, you want to you wanna toss that out, but you don't want to let the bottom of the pot sit in, in water for the exact same reason. Um, yeah, and obviously different plants have different water needs, like a succulent, you would need to water less often uh, versus like a rainforest plant, you might need to water more often. <laughs> But, but I'm going to open general, my own rainforest cafe with this information. I mean, as if any of the rainforest cafe plants were real, though. Well, I mean, the bigger issue, I think, is that I don't think rainforest cafe exists anymore. <laughs> uh, I hope there's still the one in Niagara. Rainforest cafe was such a part of my childhood. I'm pretty sure they went bankrupt. But anyway, 
I, I don't I mean, think anyone's going to be making any trips to the rainforest <laughs> to uh, get some plants for their balconies or backyards. Yes, probably, probably not. Um, but yeah, that's the biggest mistake. Overwatering, don't do it. If your plant is underwatered, it's very easy to fix. You water it, and literally within a couple of hours, it'll perk up. If your plant is overwatered, that is much harder to fix. Takes longer to dry. So if if you're if you're worried, water your plant less. Um, what what else? Do you have any other questions, David? Oh, do I have any other questions? I mean, I could ask a million. I think probably my next question that I worry most about, and I know certainly other people also don't love bugs, is how do you handle any all the pests that may come with having uh, bugs? I, I know, like, obviously, if we're talking about, like, oh, you're on a balcony on, like, the 30th floor of your building, probably much less of a concern. Um, but, I mean, like, currently in my current place, I'm on the 5th floor. So, like, for sure, all the same bugs that are on the ground pretty much get up to the fifth floor. So how do you how do you deal with pests? I, I think more in a downtown urban situation as opposed to, like, you know, in the suburb where it's, you know, your garden yeah, I mean, away from your house. <laughs> and if you if you have yard space, there's going to be insects in there yeah, anyway. Exactly. Yeah, I hate to break <laughs> it to you if anyone had not realized that yet. Um, but, yeah, the... I, I I actually was reading something about this um, recently. If if anyone knows evolutionary biology, maybe this is very obvious to you. It was new information to me. But um, a lot of the different like scents and flavors in plants are a result of of coevolution with different insect species. Um, you know, some of those scents and flavors are, are to attract certain insects. Some are to repel certain insects. So on. Um, and the, the moral of this is that different kinds of plants have different, have like many relationships with different kinds of insects. Okay. So, so just, yeah, I just got to Google, you know, how to keep ants off my balcony and there's going to be a plant that does that. Or I, like, I know, I know marigolds, bees don't like marigolds. Am I right? I don't think it's bees. I think that a lot of like pests don't like marigolds. Like aphids don't like them. Um, maybe some beetles. But yeah, there there are plants that are commonly used by gardeners to repel insects from the plants that that, that are like vulnerable. Um, so marigolds are a great example of that, or allium species. So like onion, garlic, chives. Uh, a lot of insects don't like at all. Uh, same thing with mint or like catnip, which is a kind of mint. Um, so yeah, there, there's many plants that repel insects. And if you're looking to, to repel a certain one, probably Google is helpful there. And um, in terms of like, I just, I have a flashback to a particularly horrifying moment in my life where, um, I want, if you're listening, you know who you are, love you, even though you did this to me. Um, one of my students in residence, uh, had a plant in her room brought it into the common room and uh, was basically it was it was overrun with spiders. Uh, and it, it, I think the issue was it kind of came that way. So like, do like, for example, like do good gardens, is there such thing as a good garden center that like isn't going to sell you like an invested thing? Or is that kind of just like, it's a risk that you should probably just like look for yourself? That one I actually don't know. Um, but I can tell you, if you notice that your plant 
is infested with pests, uh, especially if it's an indoor plant, there are ways that you can get rid of the pests that are not like harmful chemical pesticides. I well, so I have an example. The way that I handled this was I picked up the pot and threw it in a dumpster. Is that? <laughs> is that? <laughs> I mean, I, I was I was thinking more while retaining the integrity of the plant. But if, if that's the approach you want to take, then <laughs> I think the plant was fine in the dumpster. Probably did better than it was going to do in our common. <laughs> but um, my my favorite method is uh, insecticidal soap which is something that you can find at like most hardware stores or um i don't know wherever sells like gardening materials um and how do you know that that is how do you make sure that the insecticidal soap that you buy is in fact the kind that's safe does it say right across the front plant friendly or something like that as far as i know insecticidal soap as a category is like pretty safe Okay. Um, and what it really is, you, you can kind of make your own if you take some water and dish soap and I believe some oil uh, and you just blend them all together like in a, in a spray bottle. Um, I can confirm that just by Googling a few seconds ago insecticidal soap, I didn't even search for how to. The first thing that came up was how to make insecticidal soap at home. Yeah, and the the way it works is that most insects um, have have kind of delicate, like, skin, exoskeleton, I don't know what it is, Um, but the soap, like, damages that. I'm not 100% sure how it works, but, like, it it, it, it kills most insects. Um, And, like, hard-shelled beetles, I think think it doesn't kill as much as it does other stuff. Kills most insects, it is safe for plants. And if you're using it on food plants, um, it is not going to make those plants like less safe to eat afterward. Um, and then yeah, another I mean, one, sorry, yeah. I was just say like, just to verify what you said, yeah, it's water, vegetable oil, and mild liquid soap. And you put it in a spray bottle and you've got it. So it's like, no reason yeah. not to. It's probably easier than going out and buying like actual insecticide or pesticide or whatever, right? Like it's hundred percent. Um, and then the other thing that I've heard talked about a lot, I've never used it myself, but as far as I'm aware, it's also safe is neem oil. That's N E E M. Um, I think that that one you just like put on the plant or in the soil somewhere and the scent of it repels insect. I'm not a hundred percent sure. I haven't used it. But I think that that's also a pretty, like, eco-friendly pesticide alternative. Okay. Yeah. And I then, feel like I could... Sorry. I, yeah, I feel like I've... That, that sounds like acceptable risks for, like, like as long as I've got my, my spray bottle of insecticidal soap, I'm not going <laughs> to have to worry about bugs getting into my apartment. So that sounds yeah. good. And if you're growing, like, a food plant outside that is susceptible to bugs, um, like, tomatoes are a good example of this. Tomatoes get aphids a lot. Um, And if it's outdoors, you can't really, like, you can kill the bugs, but more bugs will show up. Then a really good idea is to look into companion planting, which is just the idea of having plants near each other that have some sort of, some sort of mutual, mutualism, mutual aid. Uh, 
this was one of the huge things that they talked about at the urban farm tour shout out again yeah it was basically uh, i don't want to get it incorrect but um there's indigenous plants that are called i believe it's the three sisters and the seven sisters or something like that and it's yeah groups of plants that work together and like like some will distract like oh this it'll take this one will take these bugs and it's fine with it and it protects the other one because it's nearby and then they all work together it was it was just magical it was a magical experience learning about just like the huge amounts of indigenous knowledge around how all of these plants interact because like they've been living with and off the land for centuries 100%. so like, they, they know this stuff and yeah it's, it's so cool what plants can do uh like they, they were telling like more urban farm stuff they were talking about how like the plants communicate and like the, the ways that they like don't really have to do like um the way that they are running the urban farm because they're using like indigenous practice stuff they don't even have to like really do weeding uh, they don't have to pick the weeds that often because the plants manage themselves i just thought that's so cool but anyway yes so so 100%. get some companion plants for your pots yeah and like especially um I'll, as as far as I know, most Indigenous uh, North American groups have, have never really relied on institutionalized agriculture and like, you know, clear-cutting forests to grow a huge field of just one crop. Um, so when you're in that kind of situation, you, you, you're, you have to make sure that you have plants that work with each other and with the environment. Um, because otherwise they'll just get overrun immediately. Um, and I think it's a much, much, much more sustainable, like infinitely more sustainable method of farming than we currently rely on. Oh, I mean, like uh, that's, that's basically not even debatable. Like, I th like that's a fact. I think we can say that's a fact. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I've, I've actually been experimenting with some companion planting myself this year. And it's like a little bit different depending on how you're doing it. Um, if you're in a garden, it's just like planting plants near each other. Um, so like in the case of tomatoes, you could plant uh, marigolds or like, I mean, you maybe don't want to plant mint right near your tomatoes because mint grows like a weed and will overrun everything else, but, or like onions or something to, to repel the pests that would eat your tomatoes. Um, for for me, I have been planting some things in the same pots. Uh, so I had some spinach and some radishes together, and that was fun because radishes grow their roots deeper than spinach does. So they have the like deeper soil level, and spinach grows bigger leaves, and radishes like like shade and cool weather. So it helps to keep them cool. Um, that 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 kind of thing. Um. And in the, in the case of the three sisters, that's maize, beans, and squash, I believe. Uh, I, I think that was what I was told. Yes. Yeah. And the way that works, if, uh, if you were interested, is the maize grows like tall and, and strong. So it provides kind of a frame for the beans and squash to climb on because they're both fine plants. Uh, the beans fix nitrogen in the soil which is really important for the growth of most plant species. So that helps the, the maize and the squash grow. And then the squash has kind of spiky leaves uh, and that keeps things away that might eat the, the other plants. So it's a very like 
good symbiotic relationship. Yeah, when they were explaining like all that stuff, I was like, it's so like it, it. I mean, it's just such a shame that we don't value that knowledge as much. Like as a you know, like I mean, I never learned any of this in school, mm-hmm. but I learned about arming all the time in school. Like it, like it was all of these things that. Exactly. Like, why are they making you do a project on GMOs? <laughs> on yeah, in French and Monsanto. Oh my god. Anyway, yeah. Right. Like, I could have been learning. Like, like there's people who already know how to farm this land and live on this land better than we do, and we're ignoring their anyway. Yeah, and not to, not to go too far off topic, but it is a huge problem in more areas than just our food supply. If you look at like the increasingly bad wildfire problem all yeah. over Turtle Island every year. A lot of that is because uh, indigenous practices, you know, traditional practices, controlled burns, all these forest management um, strategies that have been working for tens of thousands of years have, have been ab- abandoned in favor of, you know, let the logging and mining industries do whatever they want. Yep. Well, I, I think um, I think that's relevant enough to the topic. I, like, I think it's like, because I mean, we're talking about, you know, like we started off like native plant gardening, right? Like that's what can we do to help our ecosystem? Um, you know, urban farming certainly is a way. Uh, and, and even if that urban farming is two or three pots of tomatoes and peas on your balcony, if that's the most you can do, then... It, it yeah it's still good it helps some of the bugs that you know it'll help a handful of bugs that live on that plant or pollinate that plant all that kind of stuff like it's at the end of the day we're not going to change the world like we can't like planting a tomato on your balcony isn't going to reverse climate change but it's important to know that it is a very small step in the right direction 100 percent um i i think earlier you you kind of asked something in the direction of like what plants to to get. Um, Probably that's I mean yeah. <laughs> maybe I, I remember that question being asked. If it wasn't, then uh, if it wasn't, I would still like to know the answer. Yeah, but um, but for a balcony, there is still a lot that you can do to create uh, like an eco-friendly, environmentally contributing garden. Um, there's, there's a lot of like wildflower mixes that are available. Um, I got my seeds this year from uh, a company called West Coast Seeds. Uh, they operate out of British Columbia. Really? Yeah. Um, and <laughs> it's like, it's, it's cheap. It's like not very expensive seeds. Yeah, you buy them, they ship them over. It was all very good. Um, and they have some specifically pollinator formulated wildflower mixes. Um, so I took one of those, literally just dumped it in a pot. And now I have a pot like overflowing with wildflowers. Um, and the nice thing about wildflowers is they're generally pretty hardy. They don't need like super nutrient rich soil. Um, they don't need a ton of water. They don't need a ton of maintenance. You can, you can just put them in a pot. They will grow. So that's really cool. That's the kind um, of plants I'm looking for. Exactly. <laughs> if, you're, if you're looking for food plants, 
Uh, that obviously depends like what you want to eat. But my, my one big thing that I want to say would be go for heirloom varieties, which is like older strains of plants that are closer to the original um, you know, form that the plant had before they were selectively bred into the most productive possible, you know, like beef steak tomato that tastes like nothing or huh. red delicious apple that tastes like nothing. I always saw things called like, like heirloom tomato. Like I know, I didn't know that meant something like I didn't know it meant that. Yeah. Yeah. And heirloom plants also are better for pollinators because they are closer to the plants that co-evolve with those pollinators. Um, Good to know. Yeah. And then if you have yard space for anyone listening, David, if you have yard space in the future, uh, (laughs) I can remember this in 50 years when I can afford a home. (laughs) Bold, bold of you to assume the real estate market won't have got, I don't know, quadrupled every year from now until then. I can't do compound interest. Um, but for, for anyone who has a, a, a space, I would say number one thing is plant a tree. Um, and not, not, not just any tree. Um, you can look up keystone plant species for your area and what that means is basically there's there's some plants that support a really disproportionate number of other species uh, compared to other plants so like an oak tree for example supports i think like three or four hundred other species if, if you plant an oak tree yeah which is pretty incredible um and obviously it depends on what your space looks like, how much time you have, you know, if you're planning to sell your, your house in five years, then oak tree maybe is not for you. But there are tons and tons of keystone species. Um, some, some of the tree ones are oak, maple, uh, willow, birch, that will, that will make an outsized impact. Uh, and that can often be a, a long lasting impact. Lots of, lots of habitat, stuff like that. So huh. if you could plant a tree, you should plant a tree. And if you're going to plant a tree, you should plant a native keystone tree instead of like an ornamental non-native tree. I mean, that's, that's good to know for the day when I'm going to plant a tree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and my, my personal one of my favorites uh, is strawberries, which I actually don't have any of this year. But um, as, as far as I know, strawberries support like quite a number of species as well. And they're pretty and they taste good. But yeah, lo- lots of things. Um, and obviously, like, depending on what area you live in, you can look up native plants, whatever area, keystone species whatever area it'll tell you more but yeah. uh yeah broadly well i mean that's definitely good to know i feel like maybe if we don't have our own places we can encourage parents who might have places or grandparents to do some of these things maybe ask your parents for like you did can i have a little part of the lawn to do something or something 100%. like that someone someone i know um recently just just bought a house and I would really like to get them a tree sapling as a housewarming present. That would be really cute. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, did you have any any other uh, pressing darkening questions? I I can't think of anything else that I would need to know, but you're also the one who knows all the things. So if, if you if you feel like you've covered the uh, the most pressing issues of starting a home garden, then yeah. I, I would I will defer to your knowledge. I mean, I, I think I think as far as a, a short conversation can go, you know, uh, I I think I've touched on most of the like broad points that that I had to make. Yeah, and like honestly, even if oh wait no yeah one last thing one last thing don't plant invasive plants. I was going to say even if you're not doing like native species eco friendly gardening whatever plants are better than no plants but that is not true don't plant invasive plants they are worse than no plants they will kill the native species and not like do do anything beneficial to replace them so don't do that um in this house we do not stand we do not stand exactly if uh if you're thinking of planting like ornamental non-native species look up if they're invasive you could Look up a list of invasive plants. Don't plant any of them. But yeah, with, with that, I think that's, uh, that's pretty much what I've had to say. Well, I'm excited to uh, show everyone probably a really undergrown and deformed tomato or something next year that I try to grow on my balcony with this advice. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I would be happy. I'm, I'm sure you know. I would be very happy to help you in in your journey if you decide to grow something yeah i probably also won't grow a tomato i would just i was just trying to do an outro probably will grow a carrot if we're being honest because i really want to chase that feeling of pulling a carrot <laughs> out of the ground and being like this is the best carrot i've ever had i want to replicate <laughs> that this this just in uh, are, are you urban farm kids people addicted to <laughs> organic carrots i thought you were gonna say this just in uh student caught breaking into urban farm for carrots. <laughs> <laughs> no, I promise I won't do that. Um I will grow I I will grow my own carrots. Um but yeah, I mean that's I was certainly obviously some of it, you know, I learned because I read the document that we pre-prepared for this podcast, but it was very like it, it covered all the things that I was like, oh, this is like I don't, I want to grow something, but I don't know how, or, oh, I want to like be nice to have my own carrots, but like, what about the bugs? Like for me, all, I think you covered all the things that I wanted to know. And um, I really enjoyed hearing about the urban farm. Um, like a lot of what you had to say, I <laughs> had not heard previously. So that, that was really great. But yeah, I mean, if there were questions that you, you have, um, you can reach us on social media. Yes. Um, I mean, obviously you can't just like Alex isn't going to show up and like do gardening for you, but I know that both of us are happy to answer questions. If anyone does tweet slash DM slash whatever other way you want to get in touch with us, carrier pigeon, we accept, I'll have a balcony soon. So both of us will be able to accept carrier pigeons <laughs> in, in about a month and a half. Well, no, a month and like three days, damn. However, if you send a pigeon and it <laughs> eats one of my precious cherry tomatoes, I will sue you for that. Noted. <laughs> I will keep <laughs> that so in mind. Just so it's out there, yeah. <laughs> for the next time I'm sending you a carrier pigeon. Um, but yeah, I think 
short of that, obviously, um, we can't cover everything. So please feel free to ask questions if you had any following the stuff that mostly Alex shared today. Um, if anyone has any questions about the urban farm, I that was the only thing I kind of <laughs> brought to the table today. Happy to answer questions about that too, but they can probably answer it better than I could. So um, I'll just be here, uh, wait until the next episode when I have some some of my own knowledge to offer. But I do really appreciate, I think um, it's it's not something, you know, like I live in the city. It's not something that I would say most people probably think about is gardening and farming and stuff. So um, I think it's really cool that you know all of this stuff about, like, you know, so much, like even just you saying, like, just off the top of your head, you were talking about how deep certain plants roots grow. And I'm like, I couldn't even pick a radish <laughs> from a carrot if I, if you put two of them in front of me, like, and they were both buried in the ground. Yeah. I mean, I, I would like to give a huge thanks to my mom <laughs> for, I mean, she's, she's always had a vegetable garden. That Is this I've the third week with. in a row that your mom's getting a shout out on the podcast? It might be. I, what can I say? I love, I love my mom. I haven't met her, but I love your mom too. Sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> she 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 loves you. Uh, I've I've told you this before. She's a, she's a big fan of you uh, from from this podcast. Uh, hi, mom. If you're if you're hearing this, um, but yeah, no, it's it's been great pleasure as always, David. Yes, thank you so much for sharing all that with me with our listeners. Um, and as always, we will be back again in two weeks. Um, so that is on every second Wednesday we upload. So if you're listening to this on a Wednesday when we uploaded, two weeks from then will be the next one. <laughs> going to be sometime in August. Uh, look, look, look out for it. Uh, yeah. So so until until next time, this has been caring too much. Bye.